my name's Rob, uh, CEO of Stealth Group. We've got Dasha here. She's on our panel today. Um, you know, she's an award-winning cyber geek, uh, CISO, president. Um, actually, big news from last week, she's one of only 25 provisional CMMC assessors in the world. So that's a pretty cool thing. Not PCI, um, though. Not, not PCI, but you do have a PCI qualification, though, yes. right? Yes. Yes, yeah. she's PCIP. Um, we have Mark Segaloff, who is uh, CISO, CEO, uh, financial services and cybersecurity consulting veteran, who loves PCI, so he jumped at the chance to be on the panel. Uh, um, so he's going to be answering all the questions, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Excellent. Um, we, we have Cassandra, who's PCIP, she's CISO, Lots of um, cyber qualifications, GRC veteran, uh, also loves a bit of PCI, right? You can have wave at everyone, Cassandra, if you want to. Um, you know who I am. I've uh, been in financial services <clears throat> for more years than I uh, than I care to mention, but it's over thirty, and uh, spent a lot of time with PCI on, with a couple of companies. So. Uh, have a I have a point of view it might not be accurate but it's but it's uh, grounded in the real world and one of my colleagues on one of those programs is Chris Connor and uh, he's not on the panel but he's joined us to, to listen and I'm sure if he gets excited he'll, he'll chip in as well so that's the panel um, who else do we have so Rich was on a previous panel um, he's just uh, he thinks he's just listening in today but I'm sure he won't be able to resist uh jumping in at some point and then who else do we have we have steve brown steve would you like to introduce yourself sir sure i'm steve brown i'm with uh, tpg telemanagement here in omaha nebraska we're just dipping our toe into cmmc uh we're going to get there hopefully to look look at getting into the uh, more federal business we're into listening and scoring uh, customer service type calls and creating uh, metrics, delivering that back to customers as insights and, okay. and ROIs. Awesome, That's, uh, I think you've come to the right place. So yeah, ho hopefully you'll enjoy uh, what, what we come up with. Um, yep. We have, uh, Jeff is, uh, is our new operations manager. Nick is our new sales guy. Chuck, I don't see a surname. Uh, Chuck, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and, uh, and tell us why you're here. Chuck, you're on mute. No? Some people are shy. Okay. So, yeah, that, I mean, I always encourage folks to turn your cameras on if you can. Um, that makes it far much, of, much more of a, a conversation and less of a kind of diatribe slash um you know <laughs> a presentation is uh, we, we we would like this to be as interactive as possible we have a p valad uh if you would like to oh you won't be able to speak i guess so you might be in a, in a noisy place so that's fine i've just got your message um okay you're in a conference room with others that's absolutely fine uh, enjoy the conference have a, have a listen in as I say, uh, if anyone, if you want to turn cameras on and just get stuck in, that's absolutely fine. The, the purpose of this is to share insight. There is a zero sales pitch. Uh, this is purely, we love what we do. We think it's really important. We love to share 
simple as that. And we, we invite our buddies along just to, to give their points of view as well. So we get um, more rounded points of view. Plus we like to have a bit of a laugh. You can probably tell um, I like to, uh, to have a bit of a joke. This, you know, these topics can be quite dry. So uh, if anyone wants to inject some humor, you're very welcome. Um, as I say, the, all of the questions that were posted, they're on slido.com. The um, code that you need to access the questions or add some new ones is seven, oh, sorry, hash 74501. Um, so if you wanted to have the questions to hand, I, I've, uh, I've been in there, I've taken a look at those and we're just gonna run down those questions. So, uh, so without further ado, if everyone's comfortable and has a cup of coffee, um, sit back and relax and we'll get into the first one. So the first question was um, given, the, and I think we expanded on the question a little bit because Slido gives you a, a word limit. So the, the actual question was, given the financial services industry often deals with a mix of domestic and international clients, meeting regulatory and compliance requirements is non-negotiable, yes. Um, what is the best practice for performing due diligence to ensure we remain compliant? So I'd be very happy to give a kind of consultants type answer to that, but I think uh, who would, uh, who from our panel would like to volunteer answering this one? I know Mark's about to put his hand up. Mark. <laughs> my hand's up. <laughs> what do you think? I think um, from my experience, there are, there are probably a number of different facets here. Um, the certainly within the financial services they have a concept of three lines of defense which um, some of you are probably very familiar with so it's ensuring that you've got a robust three lines of defense model first of all the second the second aspect is very much around being able to demonstrate compliance as much as possible so actually having the evidence and the process to support um, visibility of what you're doing for compliance is equally as important um, and the third thing is um, certainly some of the larger banks that I've been involved with um, like uh, Lloyd's and UBS uh, it's really knowing where are your key risks as well so very much focusing on what what ticks the boxes for some of those organizations and some of your regular your regulatory authorities um, so for example in in a UBS or uh, scenario they had multiple regulatory uh, requirements re resulting from Sarbanes-Oxley from the, the mass authority over in Singapore and of course your in, uh, external auditors so it's about being able to have a, a meta standard knowing what's important but focusing on key risks like privileged access management is often key in financial services um, anything to do with access control um, a lot to do with third-party assurance as well um, and following the trail of data and understanding where your data is. So it's really just it's really just trying to narrow your scope down and focusing what's really important because they are complex beasts. Absolutely. I think we're going to get more into the, the third and fourth party question a little later, but I think we can agree that all roads lead to the chief risk officer at this point. You know, they've got the risk register, the enterprise risk register that is fed by the different department heads and you know you, it's you, you need a plan for compliance that that makes sure that you address or at least has a compensating control for those risks where relevant so you know because cost is important you can't go around fixing everything um so it's it's understanding the priority of your risks from an enterprise perspective and then knowing what to do with them so uh, and then you know you we're going to come to this quite a lot but 
yeah, the three lines are different, absolutely. But the, yeah, it, this is all about people, process, and technology. You know, this isn't just about a set of processes. It isn't just about a set of appliances, and it's not just about training your staff to a certain standard. It's about all of those things, and that that for me is, you know, if, if you're ticking those boxes, then um, compliance becomes easier. And don't, don't forget, being compliant doesn't make you secure. And I know this is a this is a strapline for for stealth. We will. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get into that question momentarily. But just 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 bear in mind, just because you adhere to a certain compliance standard, um, each one of them is different, which means each one of them has pluses and minuses. So where each that means it, where you have deficiencies, if you haven't focused on those as part of your compliance activity, then there's there's risk there as well. So. All right, awesome. Thanks, Mark. So next question, managing vendor risk. So here's your, here's your third party question. So managing vendor risk is a critical challenge the financial services industry faces. And, and to be fair, all industries are facing right now. What have you seen to be the most successful approach to managing third party relationships? So I'm wondering if Cassandra is going to put a hand up for that. She is. There you go. No prompting whatsoever. So Cassandra, over to you. This one is one of my favorite ones. So I usually get the joyous task of coming to clean up when things are not done correctly. So my view is more from a starting with the end in mind and making sure that you're protecting yourself, but also building that relationship with your vendor. I think it's really critical that you set the expectations up front with them and let them know that their security has to follow the mandates of, of you as the customer. And it has to be put in writing in the contract to protect yourself later on if you run into an issue. So what that means really is you need to make sure that they understand what your security requirements are and what you need to comply with and when you need to comply with them. You also need to be building in your contract and your expectations with that vendor and any of their you know, sub vendors um, a right to audit their systems and their processes at any time. Um, but you know, working with them in a relationship oriented way to say, look, every quarter we want to take a look. We would like for you to proactively provide that to us so that we don't have to be invasive about it, but we do need to make sure that it's happening. Um, the other piece here is you've got to make sure that there's SLAs built in there that, that state when this information Oh, I think we lost Cassandra for a second. Hopefully she'll catch up. If not, I think I know where she was going with that. So trust but verify is key. Um, right to audit is um, is essential. So when you're writing contracts with your third party. provided in a oh. um, There's just very low dust. Oh. Yeah, sorry, Cassandra. It's uh, it's so clipped we can't, um, can't make sense of that one. But uh, I think the point was well made. I think we got that point. Any, any questions on that uh, particular point? You know, trust but verify, right to audit. Uh, frequent checks. Uh, I would add, you know, monitoring those connections from a from a network perspective and, and keeping logs of traffic. Um, yeah, all of those yeah. things are, are really useful. Mark, just just one thing to add. I think I think um, it's very important to talk the same language as well. I think that's often lost with suppliers and third parties. So using standard terminology around standard frameworks. So. You, um, each third party has a multitude of requirements from a multiple multitude of customers. So it's about trying to be uh, approaching it from a standards perspective, whether ISO or NIST, etc. 
Okay, uh, and also a, a shared nomenclature as well. So getting your acronyms fully understood and listed, and uh, yeah, so that you're both absolutely speaking from the same page. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Thank you. So next question that we had on, uh, by the way, Slido.com for those that have just joined. Uh, Slido.com hash seven four five zero one. If you wanted to ask any question or just look at the questions that have been posed. Um, on to the next question. How should we go about managing the threat of internal personnel causing a data breach or security incident? Now, I know for a fact Mr. Segalo is going to jump all over this one. So uh, over to you, Mark. You're just on mute. For you. I'm mute. Right. Where do you start? Um, <laughs> so it is, I think it's all about culture. Um, People, the, what's important is that security is embedded as part of the DNA of an organization. Um, that is probably one of the most important things that very few companies really get right. So to do that, it's not about just a security program or a training program. It's actually understanding how that business operates and connecting the security into how a business processes uh, all the different functions so whether within so for example without going too down too far down the pci rate pci dss um, call centers taking payments understanding that business process is very key to ensuring that those people understand what security is relevant for their role um, and that's probably the most important thing in, in ensuring that uh, you can help minimize um, I suppose the accidental element with respect to a security breach. Now, obviously, from a more deliberate or um, uh, angle, then it's very much looking at your employee uh, screening, understanding your employee, not just not just before they are hired, but also understanding and being close to them throughout the duration of their employment as well. So, you know, noticing if there are issues or whether personal issues that may impact one's performance or one's ability to let's just say stay on the straight and narrow so it's about really being taking care of your employees as well or your staff as well and being close to them and really understanding what's going on um, uh, and then you've also got some of the, of the more um, I suppose more, more of the detective controls in place um, but obviously uh, there are some privacy implications so you have to obviously balance what is appropriate as well based on that. Sure. I mean, so that, again, there's, sorry. There's, a, there's a trust but verify element to that as well. So technology can be used just to verify that, you know, what's happening should be happening and uh, can look for an anomalous traffic and stuff like that. So, yeah, great answer. Thank you very much. Cassandra, you're back. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Awesome. So next question. As technology continues to develop and we move towards a cashless society, how should the financial services industry consider the challenges of securing things like mobile and web applications? Any takers? I think Dasha would like to answer that one. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's, it really does not, I don't think it actually is the financial institution unless they develop their own tools and their own mobile applications to process it. It, um, 
right now it really comes down to everyone who is putting some kind of application out might it be paypal might it be um anyone else who developed their tools that they need to actually adhere to the security best practices mm. and that's not really pci related it has anything yeah. it really it's OWASP pen testing it's a proper code review and using the entire software development life cycle with security in it to uh, to make it sure so, and every time there are some updates it actually gets tested before it goes out in the public right so secure by design testing all of the good toys around uh, dual factor authentication tokens um encryption all of those things so i think um you know less secure applications are, are falling by the wayside because everyone certainly within the financial services industry whatever mobile banking app that you have if um if that was deemed insecure then you might raise questions to that particular financial institution so so in a way having very secure access to your to your money is um is almost it was a differentiator but i think everyone's pretty much on the same page now so um jim did you i saw you nodding on that did you want to did you want to yeah i'm just wondering where where you may be going with that in terms of <clears throat> the digitization of the dollar right um is it beyond just the transaction services on these platforms or is the question geared towards the digitization um the thing i'm thinking um if, if we look back at history uh, and you go back into why the dollar is green today right um that history basically was every bank had their own notes right and there was all kinds of exchange rates between them. very very complicated mix to to manage um until you had a structure like the federal reserve come into place where they say it's going to be one across the you know across the united states we have a, a standard we have a dollar i think standardization as we get into monetization or, or digitization of the dollar is going to become a huge thing so um it actually in some weird ways there's potential for it to get a lot simpler i think um if you know the dollar were managed say out of a federal bank right and that those bits and those uh uh in that that virtual currency uh were managed out of a central bank there'd be a lot of a great way to have standardization much as they did with making the dollar green back in the 1800s right now i mean that's a segue into into blockchain technologies right there right. so um so yeah the the federation of or, or sorry the non-federation of these different exchanges you know has its pluses and minuses and i think we have a blockchain question in a bit so uh in fact, we have a blockchain question now because question five, I think, was um, was another one about third and fourth party, party vendors, which we've covered. Um, next question was, how should we approach emerging technology, blockchain and IoT, knowing their risk is high? So for me, this is these are two totally different questions. One, blockchain is designed to be inherently secure and you have a visibility of the ledger and the entirety of the ledger, whereas IoT is a, is a kind of an amorphous ad hocracy of potential devices that might be connecting to your network so if we take the, the question in two parts jim did you want to take the uh, the blockchain part don't know i i think you just hit it right i think you know in terms of the blockchain stuff it's inherently designed to be more secure um which again i'm i'm intrigued to see where that goes i, I really do think there's there's such a future there um i just think of everything we do in password management everything we do 
um, just becomes so much more streamlined and so much more robust. Um, sure. But I also think for financial institutions, that presents a bit of a problem. While there is, um, yeah, the opportunity to reduce fraud is going to be uh, is going to be significant. But um, when fraud does occur, it's going to be that much more challenging to find. Yeah. So, uh, for sure, for sure. On to the um, so uh, so there have been, if you like, breaches within. I guess the, the blockchain system, my, I would argue that those breaches have been due to lack of adherence to secure by design and an appropriate testing and, and following OWASP and things like that to Dash's earlier point. Um, but uh, you know, each one of those, uh, those application vendors would argue differently, I'm sure. But uh, so onto IOT then, IOT and financial services for me right now, and this is, this is kind of topical because of COVID, you know, a lot of perhaps smaller banks have asked their, their folks to work from home. And in some cases, perhaps they haven't had a resilient um, enterprise set of tools to, to deploy to home. Initially, anyway, I'm sure they've all caught up now. Um, and I'm sure in some cases, uh, companies were asking folks to work from home using their own devices. And that for me is a, I see kind of bring your own device and internet of things as, as mostly joined. So... Under, so yes, that that was proven to be a risk because there were breaches via um, kind of home uh, home working, if you like. I think the world has moved on from that. I think with COVID, there's actually a, a greater awareness of of that and security. I think one of the plus points of COVID has been the general awareness that actually the internet isn't necessarily as safe as you thought it was, and, and folks are getting better educated on that. So. So for me, this this just comes back to people, process, and technology. If you if you are encouraging bring your own device as a financial services organisation, you absolutely have to wrap that up in policy and procedure. You absolutely have to train your staff on what's acceptable, and you absolutely have to have technology in place to check that you know access to corporate information assets, um, you know confidentiality, integrity, and, and availability are maintained. So Jim, I don't know if you wanted to add to that. Yeah, I think it goes right back to what Mark was saying a little bit earlier. It's, it's really embedded in your culture. Uh, if that hygiene uh, and good cyber hygiene uh, is, is um, you know, imbued into your staff uh, and it's a part of who they are, uh, security is viewed as a shared responsibility. Um, yeah, I, I do think you're, you're right on the money there, uh, Robert. Great. Thanks, guys. Mark, did you have anything more? Because, you know, the, 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 these are such big questions. They, they kind of deserve bigger answers. So did you want to chip in? Yeah, I think, I think um, obviously, with COVID, remote working was, was here before, but the huge acceleration and the, and the timescale to which it had to happen is what caused it, I suppose, inherently, I suppose, vulnerabilities to be introduced not because of the technology or the or the actual underlying uh, change it was just the pace of change and the ability to move quickly so i think what will happen is perhaps a few months or even years down the line due to that pace of change only then those those organizations that perhaps aren't as good as monitoring incidents or breaches will start to realize that maybe they may have introduced one or two threats they were unaware of um, and those organizations that perhaps are perhaps more proactive would have um, prevented that uh, at this point in time so i think, I think you're right I think 
yeah. back to that trust but verify i think the verify was playing catch up a little bit <laughs> awesome thanks guys so um next question another kind of big wide question so how can we avoid failing to accurately strategize compliance efforts so i have my point of view on this one but i'll i'll share that last cassandra what uh, what say you on this one how can we avoid failing to accurately strategize compliance efforts i think the biggest thing is and am i i'm getting the connection unstable again so i'll talk quick um i think that everyone knows pci is important but oftentimes the senior leadership team does not carve out the appropriate space and environment and funding and resourcing strategy to be able to accomplish it and and really continue it on an ongoing basis to make sure that it gets done correctly um, and then you end up with people trying to mad dash at the end and throw bodies at the problem so i think that's the biggest overarching thing that i see in the industries that i work with for sure it's um you know compliance efforts are aligned to frameworks and, and especially pci it, it is argued that it's it's a little ambiguous and it's a little expensive so you know without the right and these are not kind of these efforts don't take months they can take years for kind of higher tier merchants um a couple of myself and a couple of guys on this call worked for three four years on a pci compliance certification project for a huge insurance company so um you you, you have to be make make sure that your your budget line is as ring fenced as it possibly can be. So one of the experiences we had was, you know, budget team being taken away from this particular compliance effort because there were more pressing business imperatives. Um, and the business was more inclined to, to take the fine than because they had to spend that money on something more pressing. So, you know, because, because they're multi-year efforts, the, these, types of, uh, these types of things do come into play, but you do need a plan. You know, I think PCI does, if nothing else, it does give you a framework for where you should be looking. But again, being compliant doesn't make you secure. You need to be aware of, you know, with PCI and the car processing environment specifically, you can take things out of scope of compliance by making sure that they don't touch any credit card data. So all of a sudden, if your compliance activity and you're looking at that to make you secure and that's your boundary, you've just taken some things out and put them outside your boundary. <laughs> and so so what how are you going to make those secure if if they're not part of pci so i have a question okay Dasha. so to compliance um i mean pci itself has a the the work workaround where if you're not compliant you can still put compensating control in place you could put a project plan together yep. you can have that basically everything and all that is non-compliant you could have a compensating control around it okay. which pretty much puts you into non-compliant status but you can still do business so what's the point of having pci and trying to make it all secure if everybody pretty much can bypass it i think there are, that's a multi-headed question and there's a there's a big answer to that as well but one of the points would be um, have it being PCI certified is is a differentiator for some companies. So to say you're PCI certified, it doesn't matter if you've got compensating controls or not. Take, you know, being certified by the PCI Council um, can be a differentiator versus your competition. 
but you're right they're, they're, and this is to my point about PCI can be a little ambiguous and it's you know th there are a lot of criticisms of PCI that being one of them um, but I believe Mark when was the last time yeah. the PCI standard was changed do you know or updated a couple of years ago. it was a couple of years ago wasn't yeah. it very recently yeah, yeah. Very recently, in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> I think there's probably one other thing to add about compensating controls as well. Um, depending on what level merchant you are, um, depends on obviously the degree of rigor that you obviously yeah. assess that you're compliant. But with a compensating control, you still need to be able to demonstrate, for example, to a QSA that that compensating control is as equal to, or if not better, than the original control itself. So, so compliance is always a, is, it, there's an art to PCI compliance um, and it's about how you, how you, I suppose, take your QSA assessor on the same journey with you. And that's probably just as important to managing that relationship and with the acquirer than it is to actually become compliant itself. So we saw that. it's compliance with, with a bit of risk. We've, yeah, we've, we've, we've saw been that. Out, done that. <laughs> it's yeah. a conversation. You're right. It's an art and a science all mixed in together. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, the assessor tends to take a relatively holistic view and that, okay, so there might be one or two things where maybe the compensating control isn't as strong as the actual control itself, but given, you know, their, their, their job is to take a step back and take a holistic view. And they think, well, on balance, you know, there are other things over here that, you know, on balance, this is a relatively secure organization versus its peers. So, but yeah, that, that's part of the conversation that you have with your QSA. And it's also important. Oh, yeah. sorry, Chris. I was don't know whether it's okay if I chip in with a, a memory of a compensating control that we had. Yes. Um, about call recordings. Yes. Uh, if you remember that and Mark remembers that. Yep. Um, I thought the interesting thing about that was the, was the, the, the degree that um, the acquirer managed us through that process. Right. Um, and they, they kept us a very close eye on, on our progress towards um, closing down that compensating control. So, I mean, from that point of view, it, it was quite effective. It got us over the line in terms of our compliance but they still made sure that we closed it down. For sure. And that actually raises an interesting point that nobody has asked. Um, with, with PCI, you know, call centers take credit card details over the phone. So all of a sudden your call recording systems are in scope for PCI. So that just as an aside, that was, a, that was probably one of the more interesting um, projects within the, the program that we ran. Um, I, I was fascinated by that. And, and that was quite a difficult thing to do, but you're absolutely right. Um, we, we did receive a lot of guidance and counsel on, on what good looked like, which was, which was really good. Okay. Thanks guys. Um, I, re I really enjoyed that one. So next one, security controls must be implemented in order to reach peak compliance. I'm not sure about peak compliance. I don't know if it's, you know, it's kind of binary, isn't it? <laughs> um, how can we adapt security solutions as a means of risk mitigation, monitoring and control without resulting in performance management issues? So for me, this question was a slightly kind of open-ended. I wasn't sure if it was about system performance or organizational performance. Um, if for me, the former, there are tools out there that can, that can monitor things and you can set the amount of the threshold of system performance that you're allowed to allow that process to run. 
Um, but let's take this as a, as a more kind of systemic or a, a, an organizational performance issue. Um, so Mark, security controls must be implemented in order to reach peak compliance for PCI. How can we adapt security solutions as a means of risk mitigation, monitoring and control without resulting in organizational performance management issues? Um, I'm going to, uh, I'm just trying to read that question in a, in a way that uh, it comes, sort of like touches on what we just mentioned before. It's about trying to, for me, it's always about trying to right size compliance for an organization um, so no matter what, what no matter which control you're looking at or which um, or what your key assets are um, I think I think understanding I suppose understanding the business context the business drivers the what is really important in the context of an organization in an organization so for example PCI DSS is quite in, you know, credit card data, but then we're looking at volumes as well. So, and we're looking at those large volumes or those volumes that are included in automated processes as well. Those are the key aspects. We're not looking at like ancillary data that may be stored somewhere, but so we need to just kind of focus in on what's really important um, in the context of what we're trying to achieve for compliance. Um, the other thing as well, so, you know, if we're talking about performance, for example, on a security monitoring as well, for me, it's all about having actionable intelligence. I don't want to be bombarded with lots and lots of log data that I cannot consume or cannot uh, take uh, actionable action on those two or three issues that may be, may be arising each day. I want something that I can just consume and deal with it. Um, some banks, obviously, they're geared up and have huge socks and huge instant response teams. Other smaller financial institutions don't have that luxury and require, obviously, a, um, a really, you know, having an outsourced partner to support them through that process and provides that key issue. So it doesn't impact my day-to-day -day job. I think that's the key thing. Obviously, I'm security, so uh, I expect to be dealing with a bit of that but I don't want any everyone else to having to overwhelm them uh, and just uh, I think that's also the balance is understanding your organization and the response and the ability for your organization to consume whatever you're delivering right yeah. so, so I did come up with an analogy for that so I'm pretty sure your phone would run ever so slightly quicker if you took all of your, your passwords off it right <laughs> But, um, you know, you can't really do that in an organization. So it's almost the cost, cost of being secure is a, is a slight performance hit. But I look on the positive. Sometimes it gives you an opportunity to look at your internal business processes and make them more secure and actually streamline them and make them better. So, you know, that, that's something that I would look at. But, um, but on the whole, you know, you, you can't, you know, be more secure and, and not, not, there not be some sort of trade-off somewhere, I think. So... Okay. The other thing as well, with, with financial organisations as well, um, trust is extremely important to the consumer and customer. So more and more, certainly over the last five years plus, security is often sold as a, benef as a beneficial marketing differentiator as well. So you'll see so many marketing campaigns with financial services around protecting your money for anti-fraud, all these different things. So, so it's a lot. So there is a positive spin about um, customer retention and um, obviously uh, 
give building that trust as well. I think Jim wants to. I think Jim. Yeah, wants there's to. you know there's a magic trick in that, right? I mean, you know, you know, Robert, you bring up a great point before about um, there's a big push for frictionless. We want as little friction in the customer experience as humanly possible. Uh, when you're dealing with financial assets and things, maybe a little bit of friction is good. Um, but I think it's really about how you introduce that friction and when you introduce that friction. And this is where I think security could be viewed as an enabler to the business. We want to we wanna keep those transactions as safe as possible. Uh, and if we can work through automation, algorithmically looking for those red flags and giving just the ones that Mark talked about earlier, about give me something that's actionable, uh, that we're not drinking from the fire hose here. Um, there's a lot of those flags. You trip enough of those flags, your tool then introduces the friction of, hey, maybe I need you to give me your password now, right? Um, uh, you can be, there's a very fine line, you know, business-wise between that friction, um, and, you know, the friction we want as security people, uh, but the friction that the business doesn't want because they want to retain customers and they want to make it as absolutely simple as possible for their customers. Um, I think there's a, there's a third way where security can help enable that, right? Um, through automation, through tools with, uh, you know, algorithms and ML and, and AI that can really, uh, especially if you've got that kind of volume, I think of something like, uh, like a PayPal, right? Where you've got that kind of transaction volume, those engines can learn rather rapidly. So, um, and then you're faced with just, you know, the exception handling that, that you want to be faced with as a security manager. Yeah, that's great but point. You're integral you're integral to the trust you want your customers to have, right? In your platform, right? That's right. integral. It's baked into, you know, one of the reasons I think I use PayPal is because I feel secure there, right? I, you know, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, so that, that I think is, you know, part of your product is going to be, you know, you know, that security message that your, your, your funds are going to be safe with. Especially in financial services, because it's your money, right? You've, you've <laughs> worked hard for that. It's personal. It's very real quick. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. Thanks, Jim. Cassandra, did you want to jump in on that one? No, I saw you raise your hand. Sorry. Oh, I was just, uh, I was thinking, it sounds so luxurious now after I've left big banking and gone to uh, help the smaller fish in the sea because they really don't have the money to use automated tools or any of the fancy things that are out uh, going back to basics. And I think there is a very large cross section of the blue ocean that needs. Um, critical thinking skills and helping them come up with their compensating controls because they really need to strategically think about where they're going to spend the dollars that they have to figure out which ones are going to be automated tools and which ones are really people in process that need to be addressed um, because they don't have that ingrained security culture or or really a risk management mindset. So it's, it's definitely a particular challenge for those of us that are used to having money to buy things and then going to uh, help others to get through their PCI challenges. For sure, it, it really is about bang for the buck, isn't it, at that point? Yeah, great, uh, great insight, thank you. Okay, we've got a, another kind of wide-ranging kind of strategic question for the panel. So how do we make sure our compliance requirements are fitting into the larger security objectives? How can we ensure they address the ever-growing range of cybersecurity challenges we may encounter? So I, we, we've kind of touched on this and I think Dasha wants to have a crack at this one, actually. Yeah, I think, um, and this, this goes back to cybersecurity as a standard and as a building a part into the culture and to daily operations has not really much to do with PCI or HIPAA or CMMC or anything. It's just 
every single company needs to be aware that security is a requirement now. It is actually a business enabler, because uh, otherwise you can't process credit card, you can't play with the DOD, you can't uh, be in the healthcare industry. And um, yeah, things change. Um, it is part of doing business, just like uh, 50 years ago, we didn't have TVs and handheld devices. Um, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we didn't have firewalls. Now we need them. Um, going forward, we will need double and triple encryption and have AI and automation. So I think it's part of doing business. You have to keep up, you have to um, upgrade your technology, you have to stay with the standards, you have to keep track of what, um, you know, what is coming, coming our way and what, um, and also maintaining our, and educating your staff, your employees of what their requirements are on security. It's, uh, I think it's really just going on with it. It keeps changing. And just like 30, 40 years ago, we did not have credit cards. We have now credit we cards now. We right. just have to get on with it. So it's an evolution. Yep. So the, the question for me then becomes, okay, as a small, as a small business owner, and I'm very good at manufacturing my widgets, but I'm no cybersecurity expert. You're telling me I need to keep an eye on the, on the future. How do I do that? Well, just like for anything else, if you have a house, um, you don't try to fix your electricity yourself. You get in a professional. <laughs> um, so it, it's part of, doing, part of doing business. It's the cost you get the people that are professionals in their areas to help you, to guide you. And the good thing with today is you do not need a full-time CISO. You do not need a full-time It doesn't have to be a permanent member of staff, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of companies out there that provide the fractional services um, that you can ask even freelancer to support you as a business, to advise you, especially to what Cassandra said, is the small businesses that just don't have the knowledge, don't have the tools, don't have the budget. Uh, you can still keep up with it. And uh, especially in PCI and also applies to CMMC and everything else is define the scope. You don't have to put the security controls across the entire enterprise. You can really make sure that your scope for a particular security requirement is as small as possible. And that's also where consultants can help you mm. and, uh, and make sure you don't overspend money for where you don't need it. Right. So that, that, that potentially checks your certification box. But uh, as I mentioned previously, you may just have taken some things out of your security scope that actually are quite important. So there is a balance between the two, right? Yeah. But sometimes uh, taking something out of scope, which is a risk, and you give it to somebody else, for example, if I want to be a credit card processor, well, I can get a POS here or I can just give it to a third party and have them manage the risk. And it might actually be cheaper than me going right. through a whole PCI certification and getting the SIM tool and the monitoring and everything in place. Right. So there's a, there's a concept in PCI around tokenization, where instead of sending um, PAN data, you're actually sending a token and there's a database that, that translates the two. So, so yeah, as a compensating control, I guess that's, uh, that's definitely something that we looked at previously. So, so yeah, but I guess it comes back to the point. You, you might be expert at manufacturing widgets. The, the council, I guess, would be find somebody that you trust that, and, and get, a, get a different point of view. Um, 
Jim, did I see uh, did I see you wanted to, to jump in on that one? No, I just really uh, I want to thank Dasha for the the historical context, there, <laughs> you know, um, because it's 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 not it's no small thing, right? This is still you know we talk about twenty or thirty years. It, that's, that's this is all brand new stuff, right? right? I mean, in the context, this has got nowhere near the maturity of say. Uh, your city subway system or the electrical power grid or, or lighting, you know, there's right. nowhere near this kind of maturity here. And, yeah. and the rate of change is going to, is, 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 I think what deep. complicates the, sorry, Jen, I think what complicates what we're trying to do here is that so many software companies ran out and built something and they went out with all these fancy bells and whistles and, and, you know, small to medium sized businesses with some money to spend, are able to justify to their boards that, hey, we need this thing, and they get duped into buying things that they don't need or don't function properly because they don't understand doing a proof of concept and having solid use cases. So that's where someone with security well, expertise can come in and help to at least get you started off right so that you don't find yourself having to go back and apologize for misspending money that you didn't that, That's have. exactly where I was going with this. Yeah, right? yeah. So actually, for the new company, um, it done right and really the critical thinking is done up front. And I think Cassandra, you're hundred percent on the money. There are places, and I know one of the challenges I had, one of the last places I was working was, you know, the number of tools we had was, was because I needed 2% of this tool, 1% of that tool, 5% right. of this tool. We had the amount of money being spent on tools, the deluge of possibilities and tools and, and capabilities. Um, people have to step back from that and really start thinking about, right. <laughs> ring one, two, and three. What are we trying to secure and how are we yes. trying to do that? This is, right. uh, if you step back and take the time, like in any Six Sigma project, I tell you the most amount of your time should actually be spent on defining what your problem is, right? Um, what what are we doing here? If we can do that, I think the new guy actually wins because the, the or the new gal actually wins because they, they get that, they can get some really, really incredible technology on, relatively on the cheap right to right. do some really incredible things because of what's there now um right. you know i think the problem comes in if you've got legacy trouble that's that's where things start to get sure. hairy because you've yeah. got all these other problems to deal with but yeah. if you're new and you're coming in and you don't have a ton of money identifying what it is you're actually trying to do you can make i think you can make a pretty robust system for you know a lot less investment say than somebody who's dealing with a legacy totally agree so i think with the rate of change i think not hiring some expert counsel is a false economy yeah. i think that's i think we're all in violent agreement on that i think yeah. mark you wanted to jump in yeah there are probably two 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 angles i think you just mentioned obviously the expertise i think there is a um, I use not to be disingenuous, but sometimes I use the phrase like uh, making sure you've got an intelligent customer, but uh, in a way that they actually understand what they need to be able, or the right capability to be able to get them to where they need to go. And sometimes the guidance out there may not necessarily see them in the right direction. And that needs to happen right at the top as well. So it's recognizing I've got a problem here. And then secondly, recognizing Right before I go into the technology space, it's not a technology problem. What is the business challenge I'm trying to address? Uh, the second part to that is, is no matter what size or organization, in theory, um, I say in theory because it's not always uh, happens in practice, um, the, the, you know, organizations at the senior level should be thinking about how their security strategy um, aligns with their business strategy i use the term strategy obviously it's different for a big financial compared to a, an sme but 
a strategy for an SME maybe in their head. Um, but it's just making sure that that security strategy is thought through and looked at top down very much from what are their business drivers, what are their regulatory drivers, what are their compliance drivers, what are their key risks, not every single risk because you can get lost in the weeds, but what are the key material risks that that organization and also what are the business opportunities and if you understand that context then you can clearly lay out a series of prioritized controls for want of a better phrase it could be a pci related control catalog it could be a meta catalog that, that has all your compliance and risk drivers and then you can start thinking about how do you actually meet those controls today um, either through technology people process or technology but the one thing i find lacking in a lot of organizations is is the ability to pull that together the governance aspect the leadership aspect because that's what that's what needs to happen to really make all those other three really effective um, and that's and that's and that's the job of everyone in security as you say but also the wider business to sell the need for things like that i think that's the danger of the pace of this industry because i think we're so out there or customers are generally out there trying to buy tools right tools get me the tools i need to do this and they really haven't thought about their people their processes um you know Tools are predicated on processes. Processes are predicated on policies. Have we actually, how many places have you walked into where, where's the policy? And there's nothing, right? You know, it's, so a virtuous, it's, a, it's a virtuous circle, isn't it? Those three right. are so, so interjoined. Cassandra, I saw you lean into the into this. I, I suspect you like to jump in. I was just thinking, um, integration is always an afterthought and it presents so many challenges that that really create technical debt in an organization that's very hard to overcome in the long run so it's super important to think about every single time you're thinking about buying something you know what are the impacts to the other things that you have or what you are looking at further down on your product roadmap or service roadmap um, because what I, I find even in big banks and financial institutions they go with an integrator that they think has all these shiny bells and whistles and they get midway through their implementation and they realize crap, this isn't, this isn't gonna allow business banking like I thought it would, or they really don't have a product that they promised me. You know, so you need to do your due diligence and make sure you're really getting what you think you're getting. Yeah, for sure, business impact. Afterwards. Afterwards. You know, you have to have support afterward to help you with your growth strategy. So business impact analysis, BIA, you know, some, you know, just talk to somebody that's done it before. Um, you'll be surprised that uh, the insight that you'll gain from that and overall, you will save money and deliver quicker. Um, is is all of our experience around this table? So, uh, so yeah. But we would I say think, that, right? <laughs> yeah, I think um, of, from our PCI program, the one that we are all familiar, a few of us are familiar <laughs> with. One of the things that, especially when it's a multi-year program, showing benefits, benefit realization, whether it's control improvement, maturity improvement or I'm not going to say cost improvement because it's not always uh, not always possible or risk benefits that's so important along that journey to maintain that that buy-in at the right level and maintain the investment that you need uh, but not, not just maintain the investment but demonstrate that that investment is effective so I would overlay the whole measurement aspect as well and, and reporting uh, that's a really good point important. Really good point. You know, whoever's managing that program for you needs to be continuously in touch with key stakeholders, explaining what just happened, what the benefit of that was, what what is about to happen. Because not only do you do you maintain 
visibility of your program and how important it is but you also because it's still in the mind of the decision makers and the budget holders then you're more likely to when it comes to next year's budget decision they can say oh yeah this was really good for us and we got these benefits so yes let's continue so yeah good good point that, that's really go ahead chris sorry chris oh I, all i was going to add to that was um you just made reminded me of um that point we reached in um in the program early on where we we actually were getting some pretty poor advice um and i think uh, from an, an organization's point of view it is sometimes difficult to tell whether you're getting good advice or not mm -hmm. um and making a, a judgment as to whether whether you're choosing the right option um i mean fortunately we had people in-house like mark um I think Ash was there at the time as well as you, as well as you, Rob, and um, we did change direction. But um, uh, you know, we could easily have carried on spending money on a on, a, on an approach that wasn't really going to work or was going to be extremely expensive. Right. And um, getting the right advice is is quite tricky. Knowing whether you're getting the right advice is is a difficult one. Right. So the message I'm getting from that is actually sometimes you might just want to get a second opinion. Um, mm. Yeah, not just go with one uh, one firm or person, but uh, but get a rounded opinion. But yeah, do do find folks that have done it before. I would yeah. add to what Mark was saying too about the measurement of some of these things, right? Because you're right, the cost benefit is not always there, right? Uh, to, right. to look at it and say, I got to spend the money to do what? Uh, right. How you're reducing risk is, is going to be critical. Uh, mm -hmm. right? If you go through some of those business impact analysis and you identify vulnerabilities, um, you've got to come into that with some kind of a scoring mechanism, right? Uh, that you can look at every one of these vulnerabilities in a list and you can score them, you know, uh, in some way to say these are, you know, actually you can go look at something that engineers have done, failure modes effect analysis, right? right. You can look at something like that and come up with some kind of a number that says, you know, this is how frequent this is going to happen or how likely it's going to happen, mm -hmm. uh, how big it would be if it happened on a scale of one to 10, um, you know, and, uh, you, know, you can come up with them multiple for these things and you can rank them. So if you have a thousand dollars to spend, I can look at this and list right. I can say, well, for the thousand dollars, that's probably the single biggest thing I can do. And and in doing that, I can say, here's what the risk looks like before the fix, and here's what the risk looks like after the fix. And that score is now some difference. And you can say I've reduced that risk by, you know, so many seventy five percent. Right. So, so give them a quantifiable number to look at that stuff. So I think for sure. Know, Cost versus risk is, is something that, that we look at. And without selling a thing, because there are many tools available on the market, but we actually use a tool that assigns a financial dollar value to the, to the information asset, be it a PAN, be it um, PII, be it but anything you like, right? We, we can scan environments. And so when you're having that conversation, I, I could, I can't, I can't share a story because <laughs> uh, we're still under NDA, but we, we had quite an interesting uh, conversation with the president of a very large organization whereby um, I accidentally managed to, to find my way into the back of their finance server while I was waiting for the meeting. And um, uh, over time, we explained, we scanned that server and there was half a billion dollars worth of information I set on that server. And I, I said to him, you know, I was, I was sat in the bar or on my phone with a commercially available kind of penetration testing app and I managed to get a login prompt to this particular server. So those are compelling stories because your CFO doesn't understand cyber and doesn't want to, but you give them a dollar. So this is half a billion dollars at risk here. 
the, you're more likely to get it. Could you fix that quickly, please? <laughs> so yeah, it's it, it's about choosing the vocabulary and the language of the stakeholder that you're in the room with. So us as security professionals, we can chat with each other all day about cybersecurity, but we have to understand the decision makers don't really speak our language, and it's us that has to adapt. We have to adapt our vocabulary to put these rifts across in terms that they understand so that we can all be doing the right thing. So with that in mind, I've got one minute for questions. Uh, this was, this was a, such a great uh, webinar. Um, any questions around the room? Um, Emmy, did we get any new questions that we could handle in literally 30 seconds? No, okay, good. So without, I'm, I'm gonna have to close because I know folks have uh, time boxed. A sincere thank you to everyone that joined. I hope, uh, I hope you had a bit of a laugh with it. We tried, you know, we tried to make it not too dry. Hope you learned something. If anyone's got any more questions, reach out to myself or anyone on the Stealth Group team here. Uh, thank you to our panelists. Thank you to Jim. I know you weren't officially a panelist, but you jumped in anyway. That's fantastic. We love you for that. And, and for everyone else that joined, we hope you found it informative. I'm going to sign off now. You've got our contact details if you need anything. And thanks and have a great rest of the day. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.